You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast brought to you by ascully.com. And here are your hosts, Ace Scully and Sid Talk. Hello, Sid Talk. Yellow. Hello, world. Can I help you? We should do a speech like Winston Churchill there at the beginning. An inspiring oh, I can speech. give you a speech. Is that what you really want? Inspiring speech. <laughs> we will fight them on the beaches. I don't know if it'll if mine will be inspiring. <laughs> Go on. I don't know. I have nothing prepared. No, Winston didn't. Well, he did. He did. He he prepared quite a bit. From what we could tell from this fictional, fictionalized movie. Yes. So, um, welcome to After the Show. Sito, what was the before the After the Show discussion? Mm, You were testing your thing, which is this new stand that you got me for my microphone. I'm playing The Sims as usual. I'm working on my... WordPress site thingy. I don't um, know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, <laughs> we have, have a special announcement to make. SidTalk.com has returned. Has returned grave. from the dead. Yeah. It's the zombie site. Oh, I wish. That'd be cool. So you probably... SidTalk.com... It has was, nothing on it yet, but you can go there. Look at the front page. It was missing for about, what, a month maybe? Yeah, or I didn't really it? miss it. And I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy it, but I ended up having... I don't know why. Oh, I do know why. I had like $100 in my PayPal account that I just keep forgetting about. So I'm like, okay, I'll buy a year's worth of domain and get my site back up. That was like finding change down the back of the couch. Uh, Well, not not exactly, but... It's like the digital version of finding change. It's a lot of change, but (laughs) I decided to put it to use. So, um, yeah. So this is SidTalk.com will probably mostly be photographs and artwork and then me just rambling on about shit. So if you like the the tiny bit that I do on here, imagine what I do when it's just me and the keyboard. Sounds like what it used to be like, which was also the same thing. Photographs, you rambling on, and artwork. I needed to be a little more streamlined, probably. All right, so if you like to listen to Sid talk, well, not listen, if you like to go and look at her photography and look at her artwork, SidTalk.com will be the place to go. Correct. But when you go there on Monday, when this podcast releases, if you do go, it probably won't be finished. Correct. Also correct. So um, you're listening to the After the Show. We're a podcast. We review movies. And this is Saturday, February the 17th, after the show number 518. This week, we are looking at the movie, Oscar-nominated movie, Darkest Hour. It's a 2017 movie. It releases on Blu-ray February the 27th. So we got this a little bit early to review. From our friends at Universal, and it's PG-13. It's out just before the Oscars, so you can see it before the Oscars come up. So, um, Darkest Hour, Sid Talk will give you the synopsis. Uh, It's about the first month of Winston Churchill being Prime Minister in 1940. Correct. Am I missing it? Okay, that's it, that's it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is history. So you can like look up all the details, but this particular movie takes that particular month, literally just the month of May, and um, that's it. Kind it's, a bu- of- it's a busy month. Uh, yeah, no kidding. I said, this is one busy month. <laughs> so, um, the, so Darkest Hour, not The Darkest Hour, which is a totally different film that is, I don't recommend, but Darkest Hour is obviously um, when, when the guy who sends me the movie reviews, uh, discs for review, said, 
do you want to review The Darkest Hour? I said, well, I'm British. I have to, right? Mm-hmm. It's like part of a... <laughs> and he was like, yep, you're on the list. So Darkest Hour, um, part of my history, even though I wasn't around then, but my grandparents were. So, and Winston Churchill was my grandma's favorite. Was so, she? Yeah. She loved him. He rallied the troops, for sure, and rallied the, you know. Yeah. So, um, Darkest Hour, Oscar nominated, six nominations, I believe. Um, Sid Talk, what was your first, what, what do you think? What, what do you know about British history? Mm, probably about as much as you know about American history. <laughs> so that'd like, be nothing. Can you name 20 American presidents? No, but I can, can you, name a, like five, maybe. Can you name 20 prime ministers? No. Right. So we're pretty even in what we do and don't know about each other's can countries. probably name five of each. I think that we all, a lot of people are so, sort of delusional about what they know about the world. You live in a little bubble and you learn what somebody's decided you need to know. And so that's what I know about British history. British, um, never really ever learned anything about, to me. Now, also I was a bad student, so keep that in mind. But nothing ever came to mind about... England being bombed or about the rations or about being taken over by Germany is probably mentioned in history class once and allied forces and blah, blah, blah. It all just melded together for me. So it was never a thing. What we would have learned mostly would have been sadly after the fact Holocaust, you know, and when America, when Pearl Harbor was bombed and then America got in and then when Truman bombed Japan. So it's not that we skip over it, and I'm sure loads of people learn it. I'm just a crappy student, but really no knowledge of the process or of, you know, you hear the name Churchill and it's like, yeah, but who, what did he do again? Like you just, I never knew, I knew nothing of Dunkirk. We watched that one. That was unbelievable to me. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, but I could name probably a thousand things about American history and you'd be like, uh, I don't know anything about that exactly. either. So, you know, it's all kind of the same thing. Actually, um, you know, like uh, in, um, American, it's the same both ways. We didn't learn much about American history, maybe a little bit. But um, we obviously learned about Britain's role in history a lot. And in American students... You'd also have learned just the skewed version as well. Like you, your government doesn't teach, your school doesn't teach you the dark stuff. It teaches you about how Winston Churchill rallied... The British people and saved the men at Dunkirk and then fa- faced out against Hitler and, you know, but did you know he was an alcoholic and he was slightly dementia- demented and he was like abusive to people and all that kind of stuff? Probably not. They don't tell you that when you're in fifth grade. No. They just tell you that your grandma and grandpa remember listening to him on the radio and he was a great man. And here are his accomplishments. So, um, onto the film Darkest Hour. What were your uh, What's your thoughts on this? It's there's nothing I would change. I, I was completely along for the whole of it. I was enthralled by the look, the pace, the people, the performances, the dialogue, the vibe. You know, and I I'm not one to advocate learning history through fiction. However, it it can tip on a few points where you're like I'm looking that up. I'm going to look that up. Oh, I'm going to look that up. And I was just in it. Like, you got up once to go pee, and I thought, I, I don't even think my brain will let my body want to go pee, because we're st- we're staying put. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying right here until the end. So I thought that was really enthralling. 
Uh, how how do you um what do you think about it being Oscar nominated uh, Gary Oldman? Oh, I, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> that's it's fair. totally fair. So this is the like we said earlier the story of the first month of Winston Churchill. So you don't get his whole. It's not like a biopic on Winston Churchill. It cuts to the chase pretty quick, and then spends this first month. So you don't get to see like how he handled the bombing. You know, the Blitz and all that kind of stuff. Right. I said all of that happened after this yeah. movie takes place. Yeah, literally like in the next, in the following two or three years, two or three years, after he does the rousing, we'll fight them on the beaches speech. But um, you get to see up to the point where he does the fight them on the beaches speech and then it, the movie ends. So it's not a... I said to you, like, there's two movies in the Oscars this year. You've got this, Darkest Hour, and you've got Dunkirk, and they're almost like companion movies because they take place in the same year, and they they both tackle the same subject, but from different sides. This is the politician's view of everything, and that one's the men in the trenches. So it's interesting that they both came out in the same year. Did you know there's another Churchill film that came out this year? No. It's called Churchill, and uh, it was completely overshadowed by this one. Not many people saw it, um, just went under the radar completely because this one got so much attention. Who was so, it? I can't remember, but it might be Michael Sheen mm. who's in it. Um, just called Churchill. So have a look, look that one up. I don't think many people saw it, but um, three movies concerning Winston Churchill's you know, reign there. So um, this movie, Darkest Hour, takes you through that first month. And like we said when we're watching it, a lot happens in that month. And I feel that it's not, again, this is fiction, this movie. It's not all based on fact. I looked a few things up. Winston Churchill never went in the subway. I didn't think so. No, it it, it didn't happen. But similar things did happen, right? There's a bit in this movie. I mean, this is a historical movie. I can't spoil anything, really. It's a bit in this movie where Winston Churchill decides, I need to hear the voice of the people. So he kind of escapes (laughs) and goes on the subway and speaks to some regular people to see what their opinion of the war is. Now, that did not happen in real life, but historians uh, said that he did go outside where the Houses of Parliament, like, goes out onto the road. And he often was stood speaking to people. So I think they've took that, which doesn't seem that interesting and, dr- and made it more interesting and dramatic, right, for the movie. Right. It's a bit like um, Hollywoodish the way it happens in the movie. It's yeah. It's very, like, romanticized and everything. I still wouldn't change it because I felt like it was, it, 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 it spoke to what, I don't know. It spoke to his spirit because he did do that kind of thing, just not quite as contained as that. Over, It said over... The whole period of him being in Parliament, he would often just go outside to chat to people. And, and many people talked to him on the street. And it was not, like, out of the ordinary for the Prime Minister just to appear on the street and people be talking to him. Like, nowadays, it doesn't really happen, does it? Because they get mobbed. Yeah. So, but back then, like, he could go out and talk to people. So this kind of... It doesn't really... It touches on this month and how stressful this whole month is because, you know... Darkest Hour is the name of the movie, and during this month, Hitler was running riot across Europe, and 
Britain was about to be invaded, like really close. How, how, All like, indications led to that conclusion. Right. I mean, you couldn't read his mind, but it, it seemed eminent, as they like to use that word. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie where Churchill goes to the toilet and he speaks to the American president on the phone in the toilet. And you can see the concern. He's asking for a favor from the American president that, it, that it's not actually getting a favor back, is he? Like, it, it's. Um, but you can. That whole thing on his face there where he's like, actually, we're, we're done. Like, this is. If you don't help us, I don't think we're going to win anything. I think we're going to. What did he say? It's the darkest. He said it's the darkest hour. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was really grim. Um, it wasn't all Rose's. This movie ends, and then obviously, like, Hitler bombs the crap out of Britain. And, uh, you know, it's touch and go for like two years there, where, where Britain was just being assaulted by Nazi Germany and trying to hold it off with little resources. You know, they were picking up. The Nazi thing was crazy, though, wasn't it? It kind of went across Europe and it started picking up Europe, like other armies joining their army. It just started to get giant. It just seems impossible, you know, when you think of all that, how it's just... And Britain sat there on this little island thinking, you know, oh, nobody can touch us. We're a a commonwealth and all that stuff, but it was pretty close (laughs) to uh, the end there of of Britain, you know? It could have been part of Germany. I mean, again, perception. Yeah. It seemed imminent. No one could tell the future, but it seemed pretty... It's... Bleak. The thing that's most terrifying to me about war stories, you know, coming from Britain and these stories, you know, my grandparents, my my granddad was in the war and my grandma was, uh, you know, she sewed in the war, like uh, uniforms and stuff. And they were, it was, they were being bombed at night and then they were like working in the things. It's just, you can't even imagine those conditions today, can you? Like it happening. Yeah, you can, because it happens all the time. There no, are lots in, of people in, in England or hmm. like like I couldn't imagine like you know, living in England or living in America even and thinking that that would be your everyday life like terrified people invading you. I guess I do think about it because people do live that way unfortunately in the world all they over. They they do but uh and it doesn't any different that it's England or America or Canada or Afghanistan or you know but we're very... I mean, yes, we've had things like 9-11 where you feel like you've been invaded, right? Absolutely. But, you know, the Blitz, for instance, where they're literally bombing houses and just... They're not, like, picking military targets. They're just making... A, they're just killing people every night. Without fail, um, during the Blitz, the uh, it went dark and then... You know, stories from my granddad, they, the bombs started to come. Like, you could hear them as it went dark, and here come the bombs. Like, night after night after night, which is, I can't even comprehend that. And how terrifying it must have been for people. And, you know, this story, Darkest Hour, is how this man, um, he was kind of a not-back-down kind of guy. Because a lot of the government were actually wanting to just like make a deal with Hitler. What was this deal exactly? They didn't know yet. I don't think they got that far, no, but, but it's just like anything throughout history that the the country that's being attacked or invaded at some point 
I, I guess there are rules about this shit, which is really insane. It's like insane to think there are rules to war and dominating another country, but you give them the chance to say, okay, you know what? You can, you can, you can gobble us up and into your empire back. and we want this, this, and this, and you will honor these rules and we will comply with your rules. Just don't destroy us. So now we're giving up. Basically, you're surrendering and these are your rules of surrender, your conditions of surrender. And, I mean, it's always happened. I think that's just how men have worked out this whole game, which is such... It's so freaky when you think about it, that there's a system for that, right? A system for war. It's like it... It doesn't even make sense, right? But that's where he... That's the point he was up to, but he was never on board with it. You could tell from the movie. I don't know about him personally, but there was never this, like... Yeah, it was more like, whoa, what have I signed up for? Maybe I'm supposed to do that in the interest of everyone instead of me just forwarding my own, what I would want as a citizen. Yeah. That's what the whole subway scene was about, was going down there and talking to the citizens and then being like, this is what they want. Because he, he, I think even he was thinking at that point was, am I out of touch here? I need to know yeah, what they think. Not, exactly. You know, everybody in my cabinet. And in this war room are telling me that we should like, we should all, you know, go and at least listen to this guy, Hitler, and see what this, you know, truce or whatever it is, is. But he just kept, I think he was just like, is that the British spirit? Is that what we do? Do we just like say, oh, come and get us then? Well, what's really better in the interest of being a nation is the question. And there isn't, yeah, you either, like, because you're giving you're, up a nation, huh, if you... I mean, not necessarily, because you don't know the terms of the surrender, but you are giving up something, and you don't, you know, what What are you really fighting for? Do I'm, you want to just go through your life with your head down and, you know, subjugated to someone else's design, which is what we all do. You know, we were born into our countries, we didn't make the rules... But we follow them and we take them on board and we take on the hurrah, I'm British, hurrah, I'm American, hurrah, I'm Mexican, whatever it is. You comply. You haven't signed an agreement. You haven't decided. You've grown into it in regard and depending on your surroundings and your circumstance and what other people have taught you, you just take it on board. And I think when someone, even though you didn't choose it and someone tries to take that away, like that sort of intangible identity then it's like we all will say no <laughs> you know like defend it and that, that's what this movie to me was about was do you just lay down and let it happen or do you obviously you're sacrificing a lot of people in the process the the act of defiance comes with a huge price obviously for five years after this like you said the blitz and the bombing and the rationing and the deaths and the soldier. I mean, it seems it's immeasurable. Yeah. But that's the cost. One of the costs of not laying down, like not giving into the bully, right? The bully might be coming every day and taking your lunch money, punching you in the face. But if you never just give in, you're going to pay a price. I, um, what I really was impressed with of this film. Um, it reminded me a lot of the King's speech, the way it was put together. Mm hmm. It had that kind of um, production design to it and the way the camera work was, was. It was, it's almost like it's a, it's not grand and epic at all. It's kind of small and confined, but it works for the movie. Now, the, the, this isn't an action movie. It's not like Dunkirk. It's not full of battles. 
But there are some scenes where the camera zooms right out and you kind of see a battle from above or you see like a plane flying over, which is quite cool. I thought like a cool way of doing it because this movie is focused on political chat really. And you know, Mm, the war room and the houses of parliament, it's not a battle movie, even though there is Dunkirk going on at the same time, you don't get to see Dunkirk. If you want to see Dunkirk, go and see that other film. But you do see a lot about, I feel like you, you know, I can't, I know the kind of man Winston Churchill was before this. I've seen a lot of things about him. The real guy. <laughs> but I feel like this movie really does, you know, if you're a person who doesn't really know a lot about British history, I feel like it does kind of, what do you call it? Like, uh, break it down into like a small, the essence of, of Winston yeah. Churchill. It's a very small piece of him. But you get to know him pretty quickly. What I was surprised about as well is it's got a, quite a sense of humor. This film, it's not, it's not like straight and stuffy and, you know, like the King's Speech, which also had a sense of humor. It's quite funny. The script. There's a lot of funny lines from Winston Churchill, and there's a lot of, you know, it. it he he didn't take himself too seriously a lot, and that showed through too. And I love the relationship between him. And his wife. Yeah, very good. Which, it, you know, it's like, to me, this is how it felt. He was like on the edge of like just falling apart. And she was the one who, she just needs to come to him and tell him what to do. Or tell him, like, this is, think about this. And that puts him back on the straight and narrow for a little bit. Not saying that this movie paints him to be like a... Horrible, but I guess it. At the she beginning, said at one point, "These battles you fight internally have led you to this," which yeah. means he has a lot of emotional or you know just difficulties coping inside. So but, there's some challenges there, and I think that's what we're alluding to. That she just reminds him that it doesn't make you less. In fact, you have a different perspective than all these other people. So I mean, she was really good. Is she up for an award? That yes. Lady? Okay. Yeah. Kristen Scott. Yeah, I, I really, I've always loved her. Um, again, Bitter Moon, one of my favorite movies. She's awesome in that movie. Um, Sid, talk to you. Did you like Bitter Moon? Which one was it? It was uh, Kristen Scott Thomas and Hugh Grant and John Hurt on the cruise liner. John Hurt's telling the story of his relationship with this sexy French lady. Oh my god, I don't even remember it. It's it's an awesome movie. It's um, you know, you should look it up. It's it's from a long time, <laughs> early 90s, I would say. I don't even remember it. Such I know a, I think I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember. It's it. Roman Polanski, the director. Okay. It's just a it's just a really awesome movie and that's the first that was the first uh Chris Scott Thomas movie I'd ever seen. I'm a big fan of hers. I, I think she's awesome. Uh she's very actorly. <laughs> she's yeah. one of one of those like serious actor people. But uh, I thought she was great in this. And she's not in it a lot, but she really grounded like Winston Churchill a lot. Absolutely. Every time she was on this, that scene, there's just one, there's one scene where he's kind of, where you see him for actually who he is, like his real person inside him. It's like looking at an elderly person who's got dementia sitting on the edge of their bed with a blank look on their face. Like, I just don't even know where I am. That was the moment she came in and she's like, the king's, yeah. com- the king's coming in to talk to you, so snap out of it. <laughs> the, the, the one I'm talking about was where um, she's kind of pissed off with him and he goes and sits down and kind of mm-hmm. gives her the charm. 
like yeah. smiles at her and it was and then she immediately like goes oh yeah that's Winston you know um so yeah I, I think this paints a good picture of Winston Churchill it doesn't go into the dark even though it's called darkest hour you don't really see the dark side of him it kind of paints him up as a hero I don't think that's what it meant no, it doesn't mean that. The darkest darkest hour is just the, the blitz and all that sort yeah. of stuff, right? So, Well, the darkest hour before, like, the darkest hour would have been to surrender. Yeah. I believe. But um, it, this movie is more, even though it deals with a horrible time, it's a bit more uplifting than that. It's about how this guy, you know, how the people of Britain were all like, what's going on? We don't even, we're not getting much communication. Are we going to die? I mean, that's how you must have felt on the streets, right? Like mm-hmm. living in Britain. Is, is this it? Are we done? And how this guy, you know, with his truthfulness, inspired people. Well, his lies. <laughs> Some lies. He lied first yeah. to them. And then, to, you know, changed his... Now, um... I thought it was well played out. I like the cinematography a lot. It's a lot of um, really dim British um, rooms and like stately places, you know, obviously the palace. But really cool lighting, I thought, like natural light stuff. And the war room that, you know, whenever there's a war, the prime minister and all the generals and everybody, they don't just sit in a building waiting to be bombed. They go underground into a shelter. And uh, I'm sure it's the same here. Presidential uh, underground shelter. Probably, yeah. And uh, they, you know, are safe from harm down there and they still can carry out all the orders. So a lot of this movie takes place in the war war shelter place. And uh, I really like that set. It felt really cool. Like, obviously it's a set, but it was really very authentic looking to me. Um. What did what did you think of all the? Uh... No, it looked amazing. All of it. I was like I said, I was in it. You know. Now, this movie, um, Gary Oldman. We'll go on to the cast here. Gary Oldman plays Winston Churchill. Um, I said to you, this is some next level acting for me. I was like astounded by it the entire time. Um, Gary, there's some prosthetics on his face, like Wonder last week. It's not the same thing though. See, Gary Oldman, at the age that he is at, is very close to the age Winston Churchill was in this movie. Is he? Yeah, it's like three or four years difference. So it's not like this, it's not like this makeup's like aging makeup because Gary Oldman's already like getting on a bit. It's more like transformation makeup. Like the shape of him is different. Definitely the shape of him. Yeah, the shape of his head is different because of the prosthetics. Now, did you think of the prosthetics all the time? Was it... (laughs) Sometimes, but not most of the time, no. No, it's... it's. I thought it was... Re- it's getting better, isn't it, this makeup thing, where they Absolutely. transform people. Like, five, ten years... Well, five years ago, maybe, it was... you. There was movies like this where they tried to transform, and you're looking at it, and you're like, oh, it looks like rubber face. It's really terrible. Mm, yeah. But now it's just getting better and better. And like I said to you, this version of Winston Churchill that Gary Oldman plays... He's not quite as fat as original, as the real Winston Churchill. But I am glad they went more to like, just put a little bit of bulk on Gary Oldman's frame. I don't think he put weight on for this movie, did he? It's it's in in the clothes, right? Yeah. If they'd have made him look Winston Churchill fat, it would have looked silly, like fat suit silly. And it doesn't. He actually looks right, the proportion of him and everything. So I was really, I thought it was fantastic. But the actual performance... 
of Gary Oldman, and you can see Gary Oldman, you can see his eyes and everything, it is incredible, I think. He's, he's like, I've always thought he was a good actor. And he is, right? I mean, we've seen him in a lot of things where he's good. But I think this is the best role I've seen him in. What about you? don't know about the best, but he is... It's um, transformative, for sure. He, he And he even said he, he always wanted to say those speeches. So as a person, just as a person, he wanted to say them. And now he can put on the outfit, put on the... You know, and make it like a almost like a dream come true for a dude, and yeah. I think that he pulled that part off. Yeah, and he is up for best actor for this. And uh, I, if he got it, I wouldn't be surprised because it is yeah. it is very, you know, it's a it's a person who really th- has thrown everything into it. Like he's not playing about he well he is playing about because he's acting, I guess, but <laughs> he's serious. He is Winston Churchill. He's transformed himself. And I, when he's doing the speech at the end, the rousing speech in the Houses of Parliament, it made me feel like, like you know, glad to be British kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it was like a, wow, this guy. Like, this, guy, this guy. I don't mean Gary Ullman. I mean Winston Churchill. I had forgot about Gary Ullman, so I think he was doing a good job as Winston Churchill. Um, so yes, top marks from me. There was not a moment where I was like, oh, this is a bit hokey and please don't, I don't want to see the rubber mask or, <laughs> oh, he's not playing it right. It was just always right for me. Kristen Scott Thomas plays Clemmy, the wife, his wife. We mentioned her earlier. What did you think? Awesome. Like truly, like I, I said afterwards, she, she got nominated, right? Because she totally deserved it. She's, um, you know, she's been around for a long time. She's she's a brilliant actress anyway. But what it is with this one, she's not in it a lot, to be honest. She's probably It's in, enough to make a huge impact though, yeah, to that, me. That's what I mean. She's not in it a lot. Maybe, you know, maybe 5 minutes in the whole movie if you if you added it up because she's only in like small scenes. But she makes a huge like it's like, oh, I remember her when she's not even on the screen. I'm like, oh yeah, she's the woman behind this guy. Mhm. And this guy is not Winston Churchill without her. Um, ben Mendelssohn plays the king, Mr. King George, um, who, uh, you know, the king's speech, that king. What do you think of Ben as the king? He was really good. Australian. <laughs> Australian. Ben Mendelssohn's Australian, but he did a good job as the British king, right? And he, he didn't overdo the what we all know that that king has, like, a speech. It's actually the queen's father. Yeah. So if you ever, the queen now, it's her father, and he was... The guy in the King's speech who has a speech problem, like a stutter speech impediment. And I think he did that with just enough control where it wasn't like, oh, that's the stuttering King. It was just every so often. And it showed you the kind of position that that system puts the King and the Prime Minister in. You know, I don't know what a King could do. They have to... They He just made him Prime Minister. Yep. Right? So that's, that's unusual to what? Well, it's not because they get voted in. I mean, that's how it works if there's that hung parliament thing and they have to make a decision. Right. Um, so that was kind of interesting, but I think he did. I was convinced he was uh, the king. That thing is a thing as well, the, where he has to walk into the room with the king and kiss his hand. Yeah. Even if the queen. That is a weird um, tradition. It just seemed awkward. It seemed, oh, where you're not allowed to have your back to the king either. Until you get out of the Until room. Until you get out of the room. <laughs> there's all weird. Um, protocol in the in the palace but yeah it's um 
I really love the scene where the king actually came to Winston Churchill's house. Oh, yeah. House. That's my favorite scene. And he's like, you know, I'm, he's accepted I'm with you. <laughs> that this guy is not going to win the favor of everybody who's the standard politicians who just want to save their own ass and they're too balts or too afraid to make a decision that's going to be disastrous no matter what happens by choosing to go to war you're going you are signing the death certificate of thousands of people and misery for however long it takes and he just realizes this is the guy who has to do it cuz none of these other dudes are going to do it and I don't I don't know what else to do so he it, kind of you know succumb to the charm of the churchill it really sucks to be like the prime minister or the president during wartime because I think it sucks every day. Well, during wartime though, whatever happens, if it's really bad and lots of British die, then pe- those people blame you. I'd say even if one person dies while you're president or prime minister, it is ultimately your decisions that make it happen. So very if, stressful. If it turns out good, you're a hero. I liked how this movie covered the um, the V sign. Which yeah, you'll have seen lots that of. must have been a real thing. It was, a, yeah. You've seen the pictures of Winston Churchill doing the V sign, right? No. I mean, that, that was, the, you know, propaganda. A lot of the propaganda um, in the war was Winston Churchill doing the V sign. No, I mean, the one where he got it wrong. That's true also. That's okay. where it came from. Right. That's funny. Yeah, in the movie, he puts the V sign up the wrong way. And in Britain, that actually means something different to victory. <laughs> it mean, it actually, doesn't mean F you. It doesn't mean what she said it means. No, she was being a bit more polite. Right. Actually means F you, but she, <laughs> what did she say? Up your bum. Yeah. Yeah. But um, It's yeah. the same as flipping the bird. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly that. So, And he did that to a photographer. Not knowing what it meant. No, really to say victory. Like, yes. We're going, we're going to <laughs> but, you know, it made him look like, oh, this guy is giving us a finger. He's rough. So uh, next up, um, Lily James is Elizabeth Layton. Now, Lily James, we saw in um, Baby Driver just recently. And uh, I really like her. Yeah, she's she excellent was in Baby Driver. And in this, she is Winston Churchill's secretary. She uh, types his speeches. And uh, it, it's really from her point of view quite a lot. Actually, at the beginning, when we first meet Winston, it's when she has to go and meet him. Well, she has to go into his bedroom while he's doing a speech, and she has to type it up. and kind of comes across as an asshole right at the beginning. And you're like, oh. Yeah, definitely. And you're like, how can I like this guy? And then his wife comes and says, look, you're not being kind to people. And he kind of switches his attitude. Like, that's how much of an influence she was on him. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, uh, Lily James, excellent, I thought. Really, really. She um, has been in quite a bit, quite a lot of um, period British stuff. But uh, she's really good. She's, um, you know, talented. So no, that was really good. This is directed by Joe Wright. He also directed uh, Atonement, which is another like um, period piece. Pride and Prejudice, you all know that one. And Hannah, which is a fantastic movie. Everybody should see Hannah by Joe Wright. It's really good. Yeah, really, really fantastic. In fact... I keep saying really good, but I don't know what other you know adjectives to use for things, except <laughs> good. just watch it and yeah. decide for yourself. Hannah is, uh, they're making a HBO TV series of it um, coming up. So uh, I'll be interested to see that because it was an excellent movie. And it's got more to explore. You know, it's like a, what is it like? It's another movie that it's like um, that we watched. What do you mean? 
got like genetic engineering yeah. and stuff, and then the conspiracy of the people and whether or not it's right to use humans as weapons and all that jazz. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, Joe Wright is a, you know, Hannah is very different to Darkest Hour, though. So he has got some very different, yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got s- scope. He can do different stuff because they're very different. And like Pride and Prejudice again is another very different thing. So yeah, I liked how this was directed. It had a style. It had a style, but not like a signature style. It's not a show off style, is it? It's like a there's a style to it. And like I say, it felt claustrophobic to me. Like you're you're always trapped somewhere, and then any of the action scenes or the part where he's on the train or whatever, they were kind of they had their own style where the camera kept pulling up into the air and looking from above. But um, I think it fit the movie. It was really good, the lighting and everything. So extras on the Blu-ray, and this has kind of been rushed out to to get you know the award season is upon us. So there are very little in the way of extras, which is a shame because. I would have liked to have seen Gary Oldman getting the makeup put on him and stuff, but you don't actually get that. So there's uh, Into Darkest Hour, there's Gary Oldman becoming Churchill, and there's a feature commentary. The becoming Churchill part is good because it does interview Gary Oldman and he talks about how he got prepared to do it. Uh, I was just reading something about this movie and he, he said he like took a year of um, research. You know, like he did research on, he, he spent a whole year researching it, like in depth. And learning the speeches off by art so he didn't have to, you know, look at cue cards and stuff. So, uh, you know, there are, he did a lot of speeches, Winston Churchill, not just the few that you hear in this movie. And I, I imagine Gary's pretty intense. He probably learned all of them. Seems you know? intense, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, th- those are the extras on this Blu-ray disc, which is out in uh, about a week. You can pick it up. So... um Conclusion on uh, Darkest Hour, what do you think? Is it going to win the best picture? I gave it a 10. Oh, a 10. Because there's nothing I would change. And that is, that. I mean, nothing. And I was completely, there was nothing that even once drew my attention away, except for when you paused to go pee. Let me ask you, um, when, you know, you always have a thing. When, before you watch the movie, you're like, oh, I'm dreading this movie, or I like this movie, or whatever. Well, I was what neutral. Was Neutral. Yeah. <laughs> see, see, I was actually anticipating it because I do like a bit of British history. But to be fair, I'd be neutral if it was a movie about, you know, Harry S. Truman. So I don't, I, I understand the balance between watching a biopic, a fictional telling of a true story, a completely fictional version of a true story and alternate realities of true stories and history and all that stuff so a movie about a real thing is always going to be mostly bullshit with peppered in you know bits of truth because you're going to be able to go look that up and prove it right or wrong or whatever so unless it's like I'd re- I look more forward to fiction than I drew than I do retelling of history right just for that so, um, yeah, thanks to Universal. Um, I'm sure this movie will... It's up for six Oscars. I'm sure it will get something because it is high quality. And that performance by Gary Ullman is it's fantastic. So hopefully he gets something. Um, so thanks to Universal. Next week's Blu-ray review, we're looking at another uh, Oscar-nominated movie, The Florida Project, starring Willem Dafoe. He's up for um supporting actor for that because the actress in it is up for the best, you know, the main actor, actress. 
So, um, yeah, we'll look at the Florida project next week. Movie recommendations. I am going on the theme of Darkest Hour. And uh, my first one is The King's Speech, which is another fantastic movie about British history that you should see if you're interested in us Brits. And my second one is um, a historic movie by Clint Eastwood called J. Edgar, starring Mr. Who's it starring? Jack from Titanic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's him. <laughs> If you can hear a dog barking, I am sorry about that, but nothing I can Don't do about apologize. it. Don't apologize. It's just life. It's just life happening. So I went with British history and with some American history and J. Edgar. I, you know, I knew nothing about J. Edgar and I really enjoyed that movie. Like, I know it's not like the whole story of J. Edgar. No. But as a movie, it's, I thought it was really, really entertaining like this one was. So those are mine. The King's Speech and J. Edgar. And yours are? Mine are The Constant Gardener. Is that a gardening movie? It is. Mm, not really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you watch it, you'll find out. But it's one of those where I remember just being like sucked into the story. And it's a kind of story where it has um, Rachel Weiss And is it one of, is it Fines? Yeah, I think so. Ralph I Yeah, I can't remember what the movie was about, though. Um, I think they were in Africa and she was like an activist and yeah. there's this thing about whether or not when they were saying they were giving vaccinations to women and to the people of these, you know, sort of impoverished areas, were they actually giving them birth um, things that would make them sterile? Now I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And she was an advocate against that. It was about like the danger of it all, you know, like um, kind of reminded me also of... Um, Salvador, which was really horrible, like nuns in the middle of the war that became like a horrible victim of it all. And what was the one about the lady in Ireland, the reporter? Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, where, you know, just trying to get the truth or do the thing is like deadly, really. But Constant Gardener and Milk, because Milk is also sort of a bio biopic about a real life event and about, you know, homosexual equal rights in America. Sean Penn, really good. It's got a different kind of vibe, but again, like you're learning, but you're entertained. It's got that style that isn't like, ugh, like it's not a documentary, but uh, it was really good. All right, so games and a scully stuff for this week. I have been playing three new VR games. My first one is games on any headset. And uh, Lone Echo is a, I think it's like the highest budget VR game to date because Facebook, who own Oculus, they've got plenty of money to invest into big games. So Lone Echo is like a showcase for VR. I said to you yesterday, this is the most incredible thing I've seen in VR. Did you watch any of it? I was stood behind you playing it, but you don't see what I'm seeing. No, not always. Did you see on the screen any of it? A little. So Lone Echo is the story of... It's, there's a mining uh, space station um, in space, obviously. <laughs> and it's run by, like, one astronaut. She's, she's up there. She's um, on her own. And she looks after the space station. The mining does, it, does itself. Like, she doesn't have to go on to work every day and do the mining. She just has to make sure the space station is good. And you play her sidekick on the station. She, there are, it's in the future, um, you're an AI robot, and um, 
not only are you programmed to like fix things around the space station, you're also programmed to be a companion to her so she doesn't go crazy on her own. So you actually act human. You can talk to her and, you know, you keep her sane, basically, because she's up there for a long time. So the game starts and it's um, in VR and it's very realistic. It looks awesome, like really like you're in a space station. Like there's zero gravity, so the whole like thing is you're grabbing hold of things in VR and you're pulling yourself along. That's, you know, that's how astronauts move around space stations. So the thing is, you know, it's, a, it's very narrative-based. She talks to you all the time. It's like a really huge story going on. So starts off, you go in there, you know, you've been in there with her this whole time. She says, like, you know, this is my last week on the station. They come in to get me, and what they're going to do is they've decided that, like, they don't want a human ear anymore. They're just going to leave it to you, and you you as the droid. She's give you the name Jack. You're not really Jack. You're, like, you're called Echo One. You're just a droid, you know. And she's going, and you're going to be in charge of the space station when she's gone. Like, and that's it. They're just going to leave it to a droid. Like, So, as this droid, you've developed some feelings towards her. Like, n- not feelings towards her, but you, you, you can tell that the droid is not going to be keen on her leaving. Like, it, he's actually started to rely on her as much as she is on him. So... You're doing your business, and most of the game consists of you as this droid. And you're a human-looking droid. I mean, you don't look like a human, you look a robot, but you've got legs and arms. And the game consists of you repairing, like, small repair jobs around the station. Like, I had to climb up to a thing and weld something back together that snapped. I had to go to the hydroponics room and, like, solve a couple of puzzles. Well, they're presented to you as puzzles. But they're not really puzzles. It's like, um... You know, the hydroponic system's broke, so you go on the panel and you have to dial in a load of stuff until it's all right and then the water starts coming out. So it's mostly like, it's not an action game. It's not like you're going to be shooting anything or fighting anything. You're doing these repairs, you're talking to her, and she's giving you the story, basically. The story's unfolding through her. And what happens at the beginning is you're doing you're doing your stuff, day-to-day work, and then you look out the, you're looking out the window and she's saying how awesome the view is and how she's going to miss it. And then there's something in the distance that you can't really tell what it is. It's a, they call it an anomaly, which is what it is. It's like a weird blob in space that's moving. And then the mystery starts to be, we've got to fix up this station, but what is that over there? Like, there's something. I don't know what it is yet because I've not got far enough. But the mystery is there's something here that is not just us. So mm. if that sounds interesting to you, it's a very cool sci-fi what it felt like to me, and I'm being completely... It's like being inside a sci-fi movie. The graphics are so good. Everything's so detailed. And the way she talks to you, it feels like you're actually talking to somebody. You can reply to her, and you have a cho- list of choices, like in a Telltale game. So you can be really nasty to her, or you can be sarcastic, or you can be funny, or you can support her, or you can just be like blank, say nothing. But it's that kind of game. It's like a Telltale game where there's this story going on that you're shaping. And it's also this cool locomotion of like the way you're moving through the spaceship, you're grabbing things and you're pulling, and then because it's anti-gravity, you know, zero gravity, you're floating. And you can guide the floating by like grabbing, grabbing stuff. One of the things that 
like sometimes in VR, I forget that the real world is there. And this game did it to me a couple of times. I floated up to a, um, there's a panel on the wall that I had to fix. And obviously you're in zero gravity, so you float. So if you don't hold on to something, you'll keep floating. So I, I got up to the panel and I, I've got both hands in the air. So I'm floating in front of the panel. And I got out my welding torch and started to weld. And as I started to weld it, I started to float backwards because the because of the like inertia from the thing pushing me backwards. Then I was like, oh yeah, you have to hold with one hand and do the welding with the others like you would in real life, otherwise you'd float away. That kind of got into my mind. And then I was like, that's like second nature now. Like every time I'm floating around, I'm like, okay, I need to stabilize myself like a real astronaut would have to. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stop here to talk to her. But if I don't hold on to something, by the time the conversation's over, I'll be over the other side of the room because like you (laughs) just start to float away. So it's got this cool, the way they handle anti-gravity or zero gravity, it feels, it it doesn't make you feel like you're going to be sick or anything because you're controlling it. Like you're always grabbing something and stabilizing yourself. It's just the coolest way I've seen it done in a game. And I can't wait to find out what happens. It's just a cool game. And I think anybody could play it because it's not very gamey. It's not like you have to learn a load of stuff. It's very like easy to figure out. You know, you float up to a thing and then you solve a puzzle. Because most of these jobs that they give you are actually puzzles, video game puzzles. And they're kind of fun to work out as well. So um, that is Lone Echo. It's on the Oculus Rift. Um, and uh, it's highly recommended. It's easily the most impressive thing I've seen inside VR. It's The graphics are just... They're way above anything else. It actually looks like you're really in a space station. Now, the other VR game I've been playing is Sprint Vector, which you've seen some of this this week. You've not seen me play it, but you've seen other people playing it, right? A little bit. It's, uh, you know, it's... um, I don't find it as interesting as you all do, but, you know. (laughs) It's called Sprint Vector. It's the first VR sports game, I would say. Like, well, there have been some sports games like ping pong and tennis and stuff. But this is, um, it's like, well, you're actually on like rollerblades. It's kind of futuristic-y. But to control yourself, how it normally works in these kind of racing games, rollerblade or or skateboard or whatever, is you push your stick forward and you go. And uh, that, you know, that seems a bit weird in VR. Sometimes that can make you feel sick because you're not actually physically doing anything. You're just pushing a stick forward and in inside VR you're moving really fast. It's kind of weird. But how this game gets around that is you actually run on the spot. Well, you don't run on the spot. You keep your legs still and you move your arms like you're running. And the faster you move your arms like you're running, because you've got the ones in your hands and it knows how fast they're moving, is how fast your character runs in the, you know, in the game. And it's first person like you're running down a track. And the track's fantastical. It's not just like you're going down a straight t- track. It's It's got like crazy uh, like speed boost things and like, you know, you, you can jump over things. You jump by like holding onto your one triggers uh, and putting your arms down really fast, like you're jumping in the air. So, um, you know, it's uh, what you've seen, Sid Talk, the, um, you know, the bit you've seen on YouTube, that one course. Mm-hmm. That's not actually the real game. That's just like a uh, practice mode kind of thing. 
The real game, it's actually you're racing against other people like SSX. They're all characters, like crazy characters like that that talk to you. But it's an actual race. You know, there's six people and you all race each other. It's called Sprint Vector. It's very, very tiring. Like if you want some exercise while you're inside VR, moving your arms like that will give you a workout. After about 20 minutes, you feel like you're sweating, you know? So it's called Sprint Vector. It's really cool. And the third one I've been playing in VR, which you would probably like, Sid Talk, because it's very similar to Tetris, but inside VR. And it's called Super Hypercube. And you know that like game show where you have to fit through a hole in the wall? Have you ever seen that? Yeah. What is it called? Mm, I don't know. I don't know the name of it. It's like a hole and then you have to bend your body. Yeah. Sh- yeah. Well, it's like that, but it's not your body. So you just sat down. There's a hole in the wall, like down, like you can see down a tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel, because it's in 3D, there's a hole in the wall. And what you've got right in front of you is a block. And you can rotate the block. And you can also, um, you can turn it either way, you know, all the way around. And you've got to line it up so it goes in the hole. And then you press you down on, down on your controller and it shoots down the hole and goes through it. And then the next one, it gets a bit more complicated. The, the shape keeps getting bigger and the hole getting smaller, and you've got to line it all up. Do you get what I'm saying? And you've got to mm-hmm. eventually, it'll get it gets so complicated. Like you can't, you think that, that can't even fit through that hole, but it can when you get it just the right way. So uh, yeah, it's like that game, whatever that game is, Wipeout. I think it might be called. Mm, maybe. And it's also like Tetris because the block is very Tetris-like that you have to get through the hole. It's very difficult. Um, I think I've managed 10. Maybe you can do better, Sid Talk. I'll <laughs> give you a go on it. Mm-hmm. It's real easy. It's just one where you sit down and you can see the hole and you can see the shape and you move it around, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's Super Hypercube. It's actually on sale on Steam at the moment. It's like three bucks. So, um, pick it up. So, Sid Talk, what is for dinner? Tonight we're going to have some soup, macaroni and cheese, probably make you some beans on toast. Pretty basic stuff. Nice. I wasn't fully prepared. <laughs> I went out advice? of town for a couple of days to roam around my home county and ask people for money. From my mother's historical society. <laughs> you sound, you sound like, I just went <laughs> Not out just begging. like for myself. My mother's injured. And she couldn't do her rounds for her little charity thing. I shouldn't say little charity thing, but she has a she's the president of the historical society for the county that I'm from. And um, last year on Valentine's Day, because Valentine's Day is the anniversary of the day that county became a county in 1845. You see, I've learned things. So I go around the county to different towns. Now this is the second smallest county in the whole state, so we're not talking about you know millions of people or. Hundreds of towns. There's six towns. And I went to each one of them. One of them had no businesses I could go to at all, unfortunately. And um, so that's how I spent my, one of my days. Well, Valentine's Day, in fact. Roaming around asking for money. And uh, how much money did you raise? Uh, $202. Nice. Which, when people were only giving me a dollar or two at a time, that's pretty good. And how much money did you raise last time? Well, last time I had my mother with me, which is different because she's sort of crazy and she sings and she challenges people. She would go right up to these, like a couple of old men when they'd give her like a dollar and she'd say, now listen here, young man. My mom's 76, so she thinks she can talk that way to everybody. And she's known him her whole life. 
She worked at the bank for a long time. She ran Casey's. She ran the motel. So she knows, everybody knows her. So she'd look, get right up to him and point out to the street and say, I know how much your truck costs, young man. I know you can give me more than a dollar now. Come on. It's the historical society. You know, it's worth it. And they'd like, oh, okay, and give her $20. Well, I don't have that. <laughs> I had the nerve. I would actually have to kind of get myself like, okay, I'm going in here. These people, I'm very different than most people. I had my hair painted pink, of course. But also, they not everybody knows me. And if they do, they might not necessarily appreciate my views on things. So every time I had to be like, okay, here I go. Take a little bit of my mother with me. <laughs> but I think I did. I just handed out little flyers. I baked homemade cookies and gave them out. And I mean, everybody loved them, of course. So I won everybody over that way. So I did not make time over the week to buy lots of groceries. So we're just going to eat whatever we got. Nice. And my advice? Did you say what's my advice? I already said that, but then you said that. My advice is just to do that kind of stuff. No, my advice is stop. Oh my God, if I could reach into Facebook or into people's brains and rip out this newest bullshit thing about, well, you know, I'd rather be kind than be right. It's better to be kind than have a discussion about hard-hitting issues. I'd rather be kind and just walk away. Fuck off. (laughs) Stop telling people to be kind. Everyone is kind in some way. Now, I'm not saying everybody's fully kind. Obviously, there are horrible fucking people in the world. Horrible. Do horrible things. I get that. Majority of people, if I'm having a conversation with you and I disagree with you, and I say, oh, no way. That's, you know, where's your information coming from? Check your sources. This is something different. Da, 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 whatever. I'm not being unkind. You, I don't know. It drives me insane. It's like, if I disagree with you, It isn't unkind. It's not being, like, cruel. Maybe you're just a big fucking baby. You gotta be cruel to be kind. (laughs) Like, if you ask me a question, I'm telling you an answer. Now, I I can decide in the moment if telling you the actual truth, knowing it's going to be difficult for you to cope with, even though I think that means you're a big baby, um, whether I'll do that or not. Because is it worth it? Does it mean anything? Does it matter? Is it relevant? Is it going to move things forward? Does it solve any problem? Probably not. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And then make that decision in the moment. If I tell you the true thing, like if you say to me something about how you're doing something with one of your kids and the whole rest of the world looks at what you're doing and realizes it's effed up, and I'm the only one willing to tell you that, that's a form of kindness. That's not being cruel. That's being kind. That's being, like, honest. If you can't handle the truth, and if you can't handle anything other than people holding your little hand you can't handle the and putting truth. their little arm around your shoulder and babying you for the rest of your whole freaking life, don't tell everybody else they have to be kind. I understand being nice. I just told you, I spent a whole day roaming around a county full of people who don't particularly like me with pink hair, handing out cookies, asking for money, for a historical society in a county where I no longer live because I love my mother and I care about the history of the place and that people have that available to them in the future, right? Now, Correct. if during that day somebody mentioned something political and I rolled my eyes and made a comment that was in con- like <laughs> direct opposition to that, that's not being unkind. It's just being real. 
So like, there's a line. There is no reason to be cruel and hateful on purpose to hurt people. And there's no reason to be soft and mushy and lie constantly and hide behind this mask of kindness. Because it's not kindness. It's bullshit. It's lying. So there you go. Stop telling everybody to be kind. Tell everybody to just be real, be good, be decent to hu- to each other. We're all human beings. And sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind. And cruel in the softest, nicest way. <laughs> Not cruel like cruel. Thanks, but like so honest. Just sick of it. I'm sick of people being... Don't know. It's just getting on my nerves. Well, thank you for <laughs> that's that. Right. That's the kindness of that's the kindest thing I've said all day. So um, I'll, I'll be kind and tell you about our website, <laughs> aschoolie.com. And you can actually, the return of SidTalk.com is back. Dun, 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 dun. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. You can catch this podcast on the Google Play Store, the iTunes Music Store. Go to aschoolie.com slash podcast. You can listen to all the podcasts there. Download them. Or you can subscribe via the RSS on that page. And if you've got an Amazon device... Uh, you can say, say the trigger word, whatever it is, you know, a word, as we like to call it, and then say, listen to the After the Show movie podcast on TuneIn, and the latest episode will begin playing right before your very ears. You can email me at aschoolyatascoolyat.com. You can probably email Sid Talk. Uh, now our website is back. You can always email me. My email never went away. And um, I want to say stay classy, Mr. Uh, Winston Churchill, first and foremost. And Gary Oldman for his excellent portrayal. I am really looking forward to seeing if the Academy awards him with that, because it was excellent. And I'm going to say think for yourself, because if you don't do it, somebody will do it for you. <laughs>